0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the
2: 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's film festival will be held September 27th through 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting
1: footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co director, co founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. With me is Chris Fry, also co director and co founder of the same aforementioned organization. So, Chris, how are you doing today?
2: Doing good. Should be an interesting discussion today to... uh Movies that are exactly the same, so no. it's going to be challenging to It's going to be hard to tell them apart them. Yes. in
1: our reviews because, I mean, the plot and characters are just so incredibly similar right. in tone and style. Exactly. Uh, we are joking, of course. I think these films are probably about as polar opposite as we can get, uh, which is something we kind of tend to do on the film, We do uh, the review show here. Not intentional. No, just we, we don't really plan for it, but it just kind of works out. I think maybe we kind of balance out our own taste of films we want to see at any given time. So in a particular week, we normally see a couple films that happen to be very different from one another, just to kind of keep us on our toes and mix it up a little bit. Today is no exception. We will be reviewing two films for you in the first half of the show. First up will be It, Chapter 2. This is the sequel, as you can probably tell from the title, to the aforementioned It uh, from the previous, I believe, about maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah,
2: 2017. Right. So,
1: yeah. Uh, directed by Andy Machete. And then we'll be moving on to The Farewell. This is Lulu Wang's film starring Aquafina, uh, telling the story of a real-life family uh, situation with her, her Chinese uh, relatives. So, Chris, we'll be doing those two reviews, then we'll move into some movie news, and then we'll end up the show with our recommendations of the episode. This is where you and I both share a film that we feel like maybe is worth uh, checking out again or revisiting, or it could be a smaller film that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. We want to make sure people have a chance to see or recognize. So, Chris, if you're ready to start, we will jump right into our first review, which will be IT Chapter 2. So, Chris, start us off. If Chapter 2.
2: Keith Phipps, a co-host of the Next Picture Show podcast, mentioned on a recent episode discussing the 80s film Clue that there's no such thing as a bad idea for a movie, only bad execution. With It Chapter 2, director Andy Muschietti continues his idea of making a movie based on a popular novel while employing certain creative tweaks. Unlike the book It which interwove past and present storylines at the same time, Machete's 2017 focused on the central characters solely as young kids. 2019's It Chapter 2 focuses primarily on the characters 27 years later, as grown-ups, with some flashbacks. Following the theory from Feb's, diverging from the source material is not a bad idea for a movie. What is your opinion of Machete's execution?
1: Hmm, Oh boy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, execution, and, and let me go ahead and preface this when I talk about this film. I realize that there's two lenses you can look at this film in, sure. Well, actually three. One is what I'm going to try really hard to do, which is look at it as a film on its own. Sure. But obviously it is a sequel to a film that's not too far back you know, time-wise, just mm-hmm. like a year and a half or so. And then, of course, you've got the source material of the book. So I'm going to try not to think about it in terms of the book. And I'm going to try really hard not to think about it in terms of the first film. So when I do that, this movie's pretty bad, <laughs> I think. Now, as a companion piece with the first film, I actually think it improves. But I think there's some problems in the second chapter here by itself that make this a much, much more difficult film than the first one was. So execution, I think, is a big problem, kind of going back to your question. I think you've got a great story, you've got some great characters, you've got really good actors in this second installment because you have now grown-up adult actors. I mean, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, um, oh, who am I missing here, Um, um, James McAvoy. I mean, some really good actors mixed in here. But I felt like this movie was just trying to throw everything it could to pack in as much of the, what I'm assuming, the original novel, but yet never going deep enough on anything to where really anything had any true stakes or had any true impact. It was long. I think it suffered from not having our main characters really spend a lot of time together, which is part of the thing I think the first film really was, a, was stronger in and that the kids spent a lot of time together. And more than anything from the execution standpoint, it just wasn't scary. I didn't find this film scary at all. And I've got a lot of reasons why I've got some very specific examples, but overall I I was very disappointed by this. I felt like it did not. I liked it. it, The first chapter, I was one of the ones who I think I liked it better than you did where I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was slightly scary in places. I had some issues with it, but overall I gave it a favorable score This one, I I can't do that, too. I I just feel like this one takes what was wrong with the first one, with the problems in the first one, amplifies them so much to where I I honestly was watching the clock about halfway through the film. I can pinpoint exactly the part in the film where I just lost interest. So, yeah, I've got a lot to pick apart with this. So I'm anxious to hear your thoughts, because I know you weren't the biggest fan of the first it. So I'm anxious to see, did this do anything at all for you, or, or are you on the same page with me?
2: No, I, I think I'm definitely on the same page. Um it would be interesting to see, not that it really matters overall, but like what you would end up putting on Letterboxd, your star rating if mine is actually above or below it. And the reason I say that is because yes, I was not a fan of the first movie, thought it had some problems, thought it was less than okay, but I did like a few things about it. This was like diminishing returns, which mm-hmm. is sad, because that already started off pretty low and it just goes continues to go down. Probably didn't help. Um, And unless you don't go to the movie theater, you did see the trailers prior to this film coming out. And the one that was just the scene with Jessica Chastain, you know, that was really impressive. I was like, wow, this is kind of doing some of the stuff that the first movie didn't do that I wanted to have some stuff. And the thing is, when that scene plays Mm -hmm. out in the movie, it's completely ruined. And uh, basically a lot of the problems that I had were this film – I felt like it was a little bit more of an adult version because you have swear words and stuff and some people getting killed. But um, it's like an adult version of Beetlejuice. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was really disappointing, especially considering, um, unlike the TV show, which, granted, you know, you let the movie stand on its own, but the book had come first and the Tim Curry starring IT TV show or TV miniseries had come out. And, you know, I liked that. I've never revisited it. I realize it's probably really cheesy now some of what's probably cheesy about it is the fact that they had to do effects with what they had to do and Mm -hmm. how they carried that off in this movie. You know, we live in the world where you can do Harry Potter and all this kind of stuff. That's really fancy. And it's not like it's a TV movie. They have the budget. Um, and it was just disappointing that it still looked Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous and, and ridiculous, oh. not in a scary way. Well, and, that's, yeah.
1: that's my biggest issue with the scares is that this movie relies so much on computer animated creatures and effects that are not scary. Right. They're actually more comical and yes. it ruins some of the better moments of the film where I felt like the film actually had something going on. You mentioned the scene with Jessica Chastain that was in the trailer. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, Watching that trailer got me excited for this film. So Absolutely I'm like, okay, right. that's the tone we're going for. I'm on board. I'm ready to go. And that move, that scene plays out in the film. And it's it's good in the movie, too. Like, it's building. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm Let's do this. And then the moment that we see the conclusion of this scene and where it leads to, I mean, honestly, I was just kind of taken aback. I'm like, really? That's really where they're going with this? And it was just Oh, just ridiculous and now again I'm not going to reference the book I know the book has a lot more kind of creature mythology and some of the things that are lifted straight from the book but it just did not translate the way they decided to do it in the film in the execution here Um, so yeah the best moments of the film were ones that were just severely undercut by some horrible animated creatures or just Jump scares. I mean, this whole movie is like the only thing that I, I found myself waiting for in the film and thinking, OK, here it comes, is a jump scare. It was, there was never anything frightening. There was never anything disturbing. There was never anything that like, upset me. It was all just, OK, I know you're in a dark room and it's building and there's silence for so many seconds. Something's going to jump out. So I'm just waiting for it to jump out. Oh, there it jumped out. OK, good. Now move on to the next scene. That's not the way a good horror movie should work. So I didn't find a single thing scary in this film. Uh, I'm sorry, a giant computer-animated Paul Bunyan statue stomping through a park.
2: There's nothing scary about it. There's
1: nothing scary about it. Now, could you have made it scary? Oh, yeah, there's absolutely ways you could have made that, because I'm sure that was in the book. That was something, a vision that was probably seen. I know there's ways to make it scary. The way it was presented in this
2: film was nothing at all scary. Well, Um, it's like they needed to take a page from... The X Files, and which was a TV series, which often used darkness to make things scary, and it's what you didn't see yeah. that made things scary, and even more recent films like It Follows and stuff. Sometimes it was just like the dread of what was coming, and then they, yeah, they didn't try to over CGI things, right. and that's what, yeah, that was really my problem with this is that they they showed you everything, and that was kind of to a detriment. Um, there's a scene where. Um, there's a confrontation, Eddie's confrontation in a pharmacy cellar. Yeah, the oh, build up, build up was great. But then once the actual confrontation happens, <sighs> silly, just really well, silly. That was my other and, scene I was going to you know, point just, out.
1: I loved the build up to that scene. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not giving away too much, but it's you know in a like you said pharmacy basement. Right. It involves kind of his mother, and there's this real tension building. There's something underneath a, 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 a kind of a sheet. That's kind of inching closer and closer. And it's really kind of a, a good tense scene. And then when the sheet comes off and the scene concludes, it's it's the same way as the previous scene I was talking about it just ended comically. And there was a weird music moment in that scene too. Do you recall that?
2: Uh, yes. It that was like, really uh, Eddie's,
1: I mean, all right, I'll just go ahead and say, he's yeah. having stuff kind of vomited on him by this, some creature. Right. And for the five or six seconds that happened, they're playing... Um, Call Me Angel, uh, Juice Newton, right? right? For no reason. Like, what was the point of it? I mean, there's no other popular music drops, and it just completely undermined what could have been a very terrifying scene. But with the animated creatures and then that kind of dropping in humor for really inappropriate reasons, the tone of the film was just all over the place. Um,
2: And, you know, you you started off... You know, we've basically just been just we've been, been railing on it. I got some positives us. to say, but yeah, and I want so I want to yeah, say you know a couple of positives. I agree that I think Bill Hader as um, as uh, no he's um which which kid is he <laughs> as the <kid laughs> kind of run together. Yeah, they they do Richie um, Richie. Thank you. Um, as Richie Tozier, or whatever he he's good. Well, and, he's funny, and well, but
1: he's his character's meant to be funny. Richie right. was funny in the original one as a young kid. Bill Hader played it for laughs.
2: But he also played, which, you know, is in the book, like, damaged. And so he, yeah. did, he did a pretty... thought he did a pretty no, good he job... he was good. I liked it. ...of her. being damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Jessica Chastain being Bev, I thought she was good. And I, I think it... You know, I still am a big supporter. Even though I, I really liked Tim Curry as Pennywise, I did. I know, mm. like if I go back and watch it now, it doesn't hold up. I think you've mentioned no, no, how it he hold up. actually
1: is fine. Okay, it's just the rest of the movie doesn't hold up. But I think Tim Curry still, mm. you know, is is a classic Pennywise.
2: And Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, I think is amazing. Yeah. Any problems with that? Like I do not lay at his feet. I think he's really good. He has the look. He has the physicality. He has when the few lines that he does get to deliver, he's very menacing with them. There's one where he shortly after um, the Beetlejuice CGI woman Mm -hmm. has the confrontation with uh, Miss Kirsch, has that with Beverly. She kind of sees Pennywise in a state kind of from his past a little Mm -hmm. bit. And, you know, so that gives Bill Skarsgård a chance to actually look semi-normal. And I thought he did really well in that too. Um, I think for me, so other than the performances I've kind of called out, And this is going to sound kind of strange, and I'll try to explain it. Instances where they let creepy be scary worked. For example, there's a bleacher scene with a little girl. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a scene kind of towards the beginning of the film where um, a couple is jumped by thugs at a fair and um, ends up in one of them being in the water. And then Pennywise kind of lurks from the side of the riverside. And they that was don't, probably the creepiest scene in the film. And they don't yeah. overdo these things; they're just kind of there, and they let creepy mm-hmm. be scary. Didn't need a jump scare. Nope. Which they could have used, and jump scares sure, are fun. Well, like, and
1: there was a little bit of the jump scare with the girl under the bleachers. Sure, but sure. But the build-up was actually really good. And it was really fun. Good. And then they yeah.
2: didn't just. Yeah, it was just it was the way they did it. Whereas the instances, the you know, I'm using air quotes, which doesn't work for a podcast. Scary instances fell flat, and like we've yeah. already mentioned, the Miss Kirsch part. Uh, Spider, Pennywise, Eddie's confrontation in the cellar, and something else. If you would have just minimalized it, the fortune cookie scene, okay? Yeah. And I'll, I'll defend it a little bit. Well, I'll defend. <sighs> I'll defend about maybe thirty percent of it. Mm-hmm. That idea is in the book. Sure, that idea was, was in the TV series. Yeah, but actually, what's pathetic to me is that in the TV series they kind of carried off because I guess they couldn't really do a lot, so they just have like the fortune cookies crawl around a little bit and it's weird and it sets everybody on edge and everybody gets kind of freaked out. They weren't seemingly content to do that here. They oh, no. really had to go it to the overboard top. and it just got of sillier and sillier and sillier. And it's just, I, yeah, tone script. Well, that just, that, was, that, what, that moment happened? right there
1: is kind of the moment where I, I kind of checked out and <laughs> okay. said, all right, I know where this film's going. Cause honestly I'm digging the first 20 minutes of this film. Okay. So the the phone
2: phone call part. The phone call, yes,
1: it's repetitive. Where you know you have uh, um, Stan, no, not Stanley, Mike, um, Mike calling everybody because things are happening. But I I like kind of catching up where everybody was and their personal lives and everybody's response to it was interesting.
2: You know, actually, like uh, you say, it was pretty impressive. Because, and I've heard some people deride it for being kind of repetitive, but I like you. I I thought it was actually well done. And
1: actually, when they all converged on the on the at the restaurant. I like the dynamics there mm-hmm. because it's like, they're all having, you know, they're kind of no, you're starting to realize as an audience member, they don't remember mm-hmm. exactly what happened and it's slowly starting to come to them. And they actually play that really well. It's like, they're all starting mm-hmm. to, this sense of dread is now starting to creep in. Then when it hits the fortune cookies and it goes <laughs> completely CGI cartoonish, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm afraid you've now lost me film. So, I'm I'm checked out. Um, I will say this. Let me let me get some good notes in here. Okay. Uh, I thought the cinematography is gorgeous. I thought the looks of the shots, hmm. the layouts, the, the way the shots were framed were wonderful. Unfortunately, you've got these beautifully creepy scenes and settings that are just undermined by how they actually play out the scene. Sure. But the look of it is gorgeous. You know, down in the sewers, uh, the houses that they have to go down into. That, I mean it's some really well shot things just unfortunately didn't lead to anything really positive in the rest of the film. Um, I did think that I, I agree with you about Pil- Bill Hader. I thought the score was good. The score music was, was good. good. I liked the music throughout the entire film. I thought it was very, it was the, you know, it was, it was big and it was, uh, and they
2: borrowed some of the, the themes or some of the sound from the first movie. Sure. But it worked. Cause oh, it's kind of, short. Um, and one other positive
1: I'll give the film as tempting as I'm sure it was for the film's financers or producers or whatever to do something at the end that kept an open door or led to what it may be a potential sequel or to give some little last minute little thing. They didn't do it. Right. They closed the film out. The film has a true ending. I mean, it absolutely ends. It rolls to credits and it's an ending, and I admire that in any kind of franchise type sure. movie these days. Because unfortunately, I read the news; they're already talking about how they make a third one. Out oh, of Oh
2: no! Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course oh, they're going my to. Goodness. But I love the fact that the film ends.
1: You know, it's just there's they said no. So this keys. movie
2: was all a dream by one of the oh, um, losers, and know. so then the third film will actually be good. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Maybe that would be a little bit of a saving grace to it. But yeah, the fact that it ended. You know, it's like, yep, that's it, done. Characters, here's where they all are. Here's where you are. Movies, scroll, uh, scroll credits, we're done. And that's refreshing. So I, I do give the, the the film some props for doing that and not succumbing to the pressure of having Pennywise pop up one last time right before the credits start, and you kind of know that that's where it's leading to. You know, Now, that granted, yeah, they can still figure out a way to make sequels if they choose well, to, but I like the fact that it stands alone.
2: Here, yeah, I, I would agree. I'm, I'm glad the fact that seemingly you thought they had ended it, but, you know... Mm-hmm. They may make a third one. I'll say with the film, too, in addition to the CGI, my other major gripe, it's not with the acting. It's not with the cinematography. It's not with the music. Like all that, like you said, something about script direction, specifically with the script and the direction. The script, it just tried to do too much, which I think you mm-hmm. can tell because of the running time. The sidestep of the Native American backstory mm-hmm. with Mike just slowed the progression of the story and was clunky and just really kind of confusing the only reason i kind of knew a little bit what was going on is because i'd read the book well and so i thought that was disingenuous because it just it just added stuff that didn't need to be there and the artifact gathering also falls in that same thing you were mentioning how it diminished for you this film diminished because they split up the losers and yeah, that's what that effectively did, and it just didn't.
1: Well, in each of those work. scenes, I still, like you said, I, I I don't, I did not understand what their role was. <laughs> so I didn't understand why are they collecting these artifacts? What is that supposed to do? What exactly is an artifact they're looking for? It seemed very haphazard and random, right? And it just seemed like a reason of let's just go have them each go do these little side adventures and have their own uh, fears revealed or whatever the scenes may be. And the
2: culmination of uniting all the artifacts doesn't really, no, kind it didn't of do anything. It didn't yeah.
1: make any difference. What I got the impression of Chris is that, okay, they made the first one. They didn't know if the first one was going to be successful or not. So they wanted to be the first movie to be fairly standalone, which it was, it was all the kids
2: except for the end of the credit scene where they said like,
1: well, yeah, they said, if he yeah. ever comes back, we'll come Chapter back too."
2: Yeah. but,
1: but I think that may have been added again. Imposed. late in the process when they know the film's going to be pretty good. right? But again, they made the story of the film be that it could stand alone. They didn't really dip into the mythology. They didn't dip into anything about who Pennywise is and why he's here or whatever. It's just, he's just pure feeds off of fear. Mm-hmm. That's all we care about. And the way we fight him is not to be afraid of him. Simple. It was a simple movie <laughs> from a story standpoint. I kind of felt like they said, oh good, it was a success. Now let's make number two. Now we got to cram all that mythology stuff in here. But we don't really want the film to get overloaded with all that. So let's just do enough to recognize it and give people a little taste of it. But we're going to spend more time just on these other little scary things we want to do. So it's like, yeah, it didn't give full service to it. It's like if you're going to go that route, you kind of need to go full tilt and just explore it and let us understand what it's all about. But instead of seem more content to just say, we're going to give you a very high level quick summary and then just trust us. Everybody has to go do these things, and there's a reason for it. You don't need to ask why. Just just go with it, you know? I heard someone on a, on a review after I kind of created my notes, and it was nice to hear other people kind of feeling the same way. This film, you know, I know length is always a, an issue, but this is a story that needed to be a true miniseries. Hmm. Six, eight episodes, six or eight hours spread out with breaks and know. Ch- yeah that's the way this story needs to be told because there's a lot of dense material you could go into. Right. And to give each person some true time to have some depth and background story. I think just trying to cram so much of the story into this, granted it was already long, two hours Mm. and 40 minutes, 45 minutes, but it still felt like they crammed so much in. And that was just the big problem for me. And unfortunately to me, it was a big letdown from the first one because I think the first one was at least a lot tidier it was a little more efficient. You know, it kind of knew what story it wanted to tell. And it did it. And was it completely successful? No, but I thought it was good entertainment. This one got to beyond entertainment. It's purely like drudgery, just trying to get through. And <laughs> was frustrating. And, you know, like I got to ask, okay, there's a, the very first scene of the film, we have a, a an attack. Yes. That happens, a homophobic attack. Yes. Brutal. Yes. tough to watch. It was the first 10 minutes of the film. Granted, it did lead to what I agree was a very creepy scene in the water under the bridge underneath it. Right. That was good, mm-hmm. but I don't understand why we needed that brutal attack to get to that
2: point. Well, And the reason you don't understand that is because somewhere between they're trying to cram, I think, you know, it, it's Sword, They were trying to be too loyal to the book, which was where a lot of the stuff got crammed in the script. Um, basically from what I remember the book, it's kind of trying to show you how dairy inherently rots people. Okay. And just rot and so what it and was trying to show you is like, okay, all these years later, twenty-seven years later, there's this fair in dairy and these these people come back. One is from New York and then one guy actually had lived in dairy. So yeah. they come back and they're going to the fair and just the homophobic hatred and all that you're like, wow, this is really dark, really upsetting. And then you realize like, yeah, Pennywise has never left. That that it's just this rotting. See, and that makes sense, right? It does, but it's not communicated. There's
1: nothing following up on that in the film. All we see is we see a bunch of violent homophobes do a a horrific (laughs) act, and then that's it. They're done. You know, I mean, there's no other mention about in the film that the rest of Derry is being like. Rotting, rotting and infected yeah. and evil, whatever. We get none of that.
2: Well, pulling... It's almost
1: like Pennywise just happens to be under the bridge. It's like, oh, look, hey, somebody <laughs> hey, just happened to fall down. I'll, I'll take care of that one. You know? Right.
2: So. And then the the pulling in from the first film, the grand, I saw it once. I did not revisit it. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not true. I did see it twice because one of my kids wanted to watch it, um, so we watched it at home. So I guess I did see it twice, but it faded from memory. Not a favorite movie of mine, but they pull back in a thread from the first movie about the guy who – was basically like being used as a tool by Pennywise and by the cre- you know the evilness and oh, right. dairy, and he yeah. like kills his family, and then this when he comes back in and is like stalking around. That to me, there again, just didn't work. Well, it didn't, was it didn't go anywhere. Didn't go anywhere. I mean,
1: we yeah. still don't even really know what happened to him later in the film. He's he vanished. He's gone. So yeah, I felt like the film. They felt like in this second chapter they needed to cram in a lot of things, and they did. Oh yes, and they crammed in too much. And the things that they did cram in, they didn't explore far enough to really make them meaningful. It was almost just a little bit of fan service. Mm -hmm. Speaking of fan service.
2: Oh, beep, beep, Richie? What? Beep, beep, Richie? What's that? (laughs) Okay, that's a phrase that was in the original TV series that's in the book. Yeah. And that was kind of a taunt that Pennywise the Clown would do. Oh. And it came from out of nowhere and Bev says it when they're like walking through the house. So she's like, beep, beep, rich, And you're like, okay, that was pure fan service. For oh, no other reason. For and then it was like, that. Oh, I know that. I know the, I know the fan service you're talking no, about, but it was um, so needle scratch Cause my kids were like that dumb. Why did she say it? I'm like, well, there's a reason yeah. she said it, but you don't know it because it doesn't make any sense.
1: I think I was already so bored with the film at that oh, point. I did totally. really you, you
2: checked out. You're no. talking about the guy who was selling the bike. Back yeah. To, oh yeah. I
1: mean, we had a couple odd cameos now. Granted, yeah, that cameo, the, the bike salesman, you get why he's in there. Oh, yeah. But the whole illusion throughout the entire film about the ending of books, which is something that, you oh, know, man. Stephen King, the author, kind of has gotten a lot of criticism for. Oh, yeah. I get it. You want to make a joke once? Okay, make a Fine. joke once. Yep. They made it, I swear, five or six times during this film, at least. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was just much. beat you over the head with this idea. Well, they had idea. to make it
2: five or six times to make enough running time. Oh, they were gosh. afraid this movie was only going to be like 30 minutes. Well, so. and then I didn't understand, why is Peter... Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich. <laughs> in the film as a film director in the early I part. I mean, funny, but yeah, I don't. It was just I random. Don't, I don't know. It's a, a movie reference. Yeah, if the I movie's a better something.
1: movie, I can kind of take that and be like, oh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, but after about two hours and forty-five minutes, I'm looking back in that scene like, why? What Well, at
2: least, was his, it even at there least for? Stephen King. Yeah, spoiler. He does make yeah, a cameo. At least Peter Bogdanovich's was rather short. Oh, it was very short. I thought where Stephen King's was a little more played out. Oh, um, it was just
1: it was just odd choices. Odd choices in the film. That's, that's, a, that's a strange, strange thing for me.
2: So I'll close out my thoughts by saying, and I know everyone's concerned about whether or not I will be willing to go see apparently It Three. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's my pitch for It Three that I would actually put down my money and go see. Mm-hmm. It is actually a prequel to both of these films. A prequel. And it is, and it stars none of the kids. It stars none of the actors we've already seen. The only one who returns is Peter Skarsgård, or Peter Skarsgård, yeah. Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. So like the And it's kind like of like his him. circus days oh, and like the evil. That would actually be interesting. And I think like, okay, and then you can get into some of the Native American stuff and actually have it make sense. You can get into some of the other stuff and act, some of the backstory that they kept trying to cram in this one. Actually try to Well, i tell you it.
1: what too, make it super low budget. Oh, no computer animation. Okay. All right. Go small. Get a different director. No offense, Andy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I, I I see you are a talented vision director. I just think the story and the weight of this thing got away from you. And I think the use of CGI really damaged the film. But again, smaller film, make it smaller, make it a little more intimate, make it scary. Mm-hmm. But yes, absolutely. And take the, the, the Pennywise character explore the backstory of kind of how that developed because we saw like in the apartment uh you know some pictures photos and granted they could have been ones that were more dreamlike made up for for right. Bev to see she could have been hallucinating but there but... also could be some elements of the story there of like the human form that he took and how this creature adopted this human character a clown to be the physical representation that all these kids see yeah no i like that see this is what you know. This is what Hollywood needs. People, they need us. Kind of feeding sure, some ideas here. Right? I love it. Clearly. I'm on board. <laughs> if I had money to finance, Chris, I would finance that film right now. Awesome. The one other thing I'll just say, sure. little final point, just just so I can get it off my notes and check my boxes. Not only did I not understand the mythology and why the characters were being told to do these things and what the rituals were going to be to destroy him and all that, mm-hmm. I also never quite understood exactly what Pennywise's for lack of a better word, powers were, Hmm. because here's a great example. All six of the characters go off on their little find my token, uh, Scooby-Doo mystery (laughs) where I got to go find this, whatever thing I'm supposed to get for this ritual. Right. And half of them are saying when they see these visions or they see these things that are terrifying them, like the Bill Hader character seeing the giant Paul Bunyan statue chasing him, he's sitting (laughs) there saying, this isn't real. This isn't real. And he's like closing his eyes and telling himself this isn't real. And sure enough, he opens his eyes a little bit later. Yeah, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. But yet Eddie, who goes down into the cellar and has the encounter with the creature down there and gets vomited on, right. comes back up and he walks right by everybody else. And it's like he's covered in vomit. He's like, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, I need to go clean up. So it's like, OK, so is it? But yeah, of course, if some some people die when they encounter Pennywise, but then they seem to make it sound like everything is a dream-like thing. I never quite understood like what the characters actually were seeing was real and what was not, because there were hmm. physical representations of things they were experiencing that were they were still carrying on. If they got a limb torn off, that limb's torn off. I mean, it's gone. You know, hmm. and then like if they get vomited on, they got vomited on. <laughs> right. But yet. Other things that they're seeing, they're telling themselves it's not real and it's just in their head. And sure enough, that's the case. So, again, the film was trying to do so much and never took the time to really help us understand why, what matters, what's important. And that's, that's was a real problem for me. I, I like the first chapter because I felt like it was simpler. Hmm. You know, it was just here's a, a clown that is the manifestation of fear and evil. It's maybe it's some sort of creature. We don't really know, but that's not important. Let's just figure out how we stop it because he's killing people all throughout our kids all throughout our town. Simple. That's it. That's all we need to know. This film threw simple out the door and just said, (laughs) no, we're going to cram everything we can and let the audience, we're going to trust the audiences either smart enough to figure it out on their own or have read the book or aren't going to really pay attention. They just want to see funny and scary stuff. So anyway, that is it. Chapter two. I feel like we've kind of bashed it enough. We gave a couple of good points to it. And Chris had a wonderful idea for a prequel film, which I would not be surprised to hear in the next couple weeks. We come back on an episode and be like, Oh, guess what? Somebody guess what? is actually <laughs> yeah. doing it. Uh, so that is it. Chapter two. It is still playing in theaters as of the time of this recording directed by Andy machete. And uh, we'll probably be out for a while. Seems to be doing okay. Money wise, not as good as the first chapter, Okay. started out. I don't think it'll make as much money as the first one, but um, it's still doing okay, and we'll see if it prompts discussions of another one in the near future or not. Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our second review, which is the film, very, very different film. It is the film The Farewell.
0: Please tell me. Your nan is dying.
2: She doesn't know. So you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her.
0: Why is that better? Chinese people have saying. When people get cancer, they die. we we'll have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Do you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. Really? Yeah.
1: So Chris, with Lulu Wang's The Farewell, we have a story that is, I mean and, and I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything by saying this, that it is based on a true story. It's even kind of presented that in the very first frame. Based on an actual lie is the very yeah, first it's word. one
2: we of s- the best taglines because it's on the <laughs> yeah. poster and stuff. Too. So yeah.
1: it is based on truth. I'm not going to go into too much detail on the whole real story of it. Cause I think it's a pretty fascinating story behind the film. But regardless, this film uh, is based on something in Lulu Wang's actual, her real life. She wrote this story. She presented this story first on NPR. I believe on, was it this American this life? American life. Mm-hmm. As a story, so like a good twenty minute, I believe, radio story, discussing and talking through it, got a lot of attention. People really liked the story, so then that got enough energy to make the film from it. Chris, you and I have a have a belief system here on the show. I believe we've covered in the past where some films are better as documentaries than acted films because we feel like sometimes you know the acted films don't go deep enough or they don't. It could we just could have been better served as a documentary? My question for the farewell yeah knowing that this is a story, Lulu Wang's personal story that you can imagine her telling you know in a in a amount of time over a radio program and you're hearing it and it's a very personal story and it's very direct with her, translating it to a film where you've got people acting, you've got characters you're having to build, and you've got a lead actress Aquafina, in this case, playing a role basically playing the Lulu Wang surrogate from what I understand from the real story, right yeah my question is you know is this a film that is a worthwhile film to go see or would you prefer that it just be remain a story that's being told as an interpersonal story did it translate to a film in your mind and did you think it captured this idea of a family situation uh, in a way that was entertaining and uh, informative to you
2: um you know the idea of making this as a documentary that would be interesting um and it could be. I, I think it could be done. Would it have been better? I'm not sure. Um, well, even it, just
1: the idea of it being just a story being told, right. you know, someone sitting down and right. Telling a
2: story. I mean, I, I, it could be done, and it might be. You know, but I, I will say, I think it, the story is better served as being a narrative film and being slightly fictionalized because if for no other reason, more people are going to see it. Yeah, <laughs> um, true. And I think the the strength of this film is the fact that it is a glimpse into the Chinese culture Mm -hmm. um, and the family dynamics from a Chinese perspective. And if it was just this as an American family, then yeah, like a complete, it all takes place in America. Then yeah, maybe like a documentary, it would be more like humorous. And then it'd be fine, but something about having it be narrative. And that way you can experience things, you know, air quotes firsthand, because it's being fictionalized and you're following the lead characters. there. Trying to deal with their feelings and how they're inter- she's interacting with her family in China. So, I don't know. I, I, in this instance, I guess I would say it's better served narratively as being okay. instead of being a documentary. Um,
1: did yeah, you like the film?
2: I did. Okay. I, I did like the film. Um, I thought the what's interesting is you uh, mentioned Aquafina who. Uh, has gotten a lot of praise. Uh, she's a comedian. She does a lot of stand-up. She was in um, the film Crazy Rich Asians, which I caught, and I liked, okay. Um, she was in it, and she's this very outsized, loud person, and mm-hmm. she knew, used for comedic effect in that film. And so to see her in this film, and she has one of the most, she has a really distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. Like, you hear her talk, and you're like, oh. And they like, before I even knew you know, Aquafina, that's the like character name that she uses for her stand-up. Um, before I even knew she was in this film, I heard her voice and I'm like, that's the girl from Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with her stand up, but I'm like, I that that's gotta be the same person. There's no way it can't be. But for her to it's like in this film that she really has to tamp herself way, way, way down. Mm-hmm. And that's impressive for me um because she seems like somebody who just is always outsized. It'd be like telling Robin Williams or Eddie Murphy, okay, just play really... Dial it down a little bit. Di- dial ma'am. it way down. Like, you're normally at a 13, we need you to be at a 2. You know? mm-hmm. So right. so that was impressive for me, but yet she still gives a pretty good performance. However, I will say the person that you hear a little bit about, but for me, it was the one that like kind of overshadows the whole process and like it's her movie, which you'd think it was because it's, you know, she's important would be the the grandmother or oh, yeah. Nai Nai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she's just really, 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 really good. Yes,
1: she's in Zhao uh, playing her as uh, a famous uh, Chinese actress that my understanding is it took a little convincing to get her to take this part okay, uh, to play the grandmother. But yeah, no, she was, I thought she, she was she great. Was really oh, yeah. good. Very good.
2: Um, and so she was a lot of fun to watch. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know, also Lulu Wang, I think she's made some small films, some short films. I think mm-hmm. she made one of the like feature, but this was like kind of her big putting yeah. it out there and, you know, and the cinematography, the editing, the score and music were interesting how they were used mm-hmm. and it offered a lot more for me than what I thought I was getting into. I mean, yeah. I thought this was going to be your typical kind of out of Sundance, you know, 70 or 80 or like 80 minutes, maybe almost 90, but it was going to be kind of quirky, kind of funny. Oh, look, isn't it funny? They lied about, you know, you know, you just, you see the whole setup in the trailer and you're like, okay, I can totally tell how this is going to feel. Sure. And it was actually a a lot more meat on the bones than what I was expecting.
1: No, there's a lot more. I, I, I really like this film as well. I thought it was great. I uh, enjoyed it. It's one of those films we show twice at our film society I kind of regret regretted not watching this one a second time, hmm. and instead going off to the theater to see it chapter two. But <laughs> <laughs> so this would have been a good second one to watch. Uh, one to watch a second time. Uh, I'm with you Aquafina. I thought she was really good. Uh, I thought she put in a great performance. I really liked the grandmother character, Nai Nai, as well. Um, really, all the characters. I thought the characters were all interesting, and I love the fact that this film could have gone. So broad. Yes. It could have gone Which so. Which is what I was expecting. Where the okay. characters were all caricature-ish and just kind of over the outlandish characters, all not really slapstickish, but a little, just kind of a little more manic comedy, just, and they didn't. It was Which very subdued. Kind of,
2: kind of what Crazy Witch, Rich Asians yeah. was. Yeah,
1: It was very subdued. The characters were real. I mean, yeah, she's got her father and her uncle. And within a few scenes, I knew these guys. Oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. I get it. Yeah. They're, they're brothers. Haven't seen each other a while. I know what this one's like. I know what this one's like. I know what the grandmother's like within a couple scenes. Like by the time Billy gets to the grandmother's apartment in China and they're all sitting down having a meal. I'm like, I've got everybody figured out. I'm oh, like, man. I know who these characters are already. And I, it's so I good.
2: I don't know. Cause there are a couple of little like dinner scenes and I don't mm-hmm. know if it was the one you just referred to or maybe it was a little bit further when they had another dinner but there's this one where they're all sitting around eating and there's like this slowly rotating oh, yeah. table. It was great. And basically it's a dynamic where you have the family blame game going on. And someone says, Oh yeah, well, you know, nine eyes here and you left to go do this. And then the person, you know, you left and gone to America and done this. She's like, right. But you're sending your son away. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, don't call me out if yeah. I can't call you. And there's just the, and it's that whole family tension. That's like, The worst Thanksgiving meal you could ever imagine. You know, it's like, but But it's not really bad. It's not over the top.
1: Realistically, it's just understated. Kind of like,
2: okay, well, I'm going to call you if you're going to call me. You know, but it wasn't done mean. It's not this real heightened thing. But it was extremely, extremely well done. You know,
1: I realize we've gone you know 10, 15 minutes talking about this film and never really mentioned what exactly the plot of the film was. So I guess we should mention that. So a Chinese family does discover that their grandmother has a diagnosis where she only has a certain amount of time to live. I think it's only like a few months mm-hmm. to live. And they all as a family decide that they're not going to tell her, which is a fairly common practice in the Chinese culture. The idea that if you tell the person that they're dying, that that's going to actually propagate them dying quicker as right. opposed to you don't tell them they live happy the rest of their life. They don't know. And and just let the family absorb that burden instead of the individual. Billy played by Aquafina, is you know, living in America with her parents. Uh, doesn't quite see that because she has enough, I think, experience living most of her life in America and thinks, no, we got to tell her that this is only fair to do. So there's a little conflict there, a little interpersonal conflict, and then the family dynamics around it. That's, that's the film. So, um, yeah, I thought it was really good. You know, I've got a couple of little things I, I wish had been done a little differently. Um, There were a few too many scenes, I don't know, maybe I feel like I'm being very nitpicky on this, but when you've got such a film that just works on every level, Mm -hmm. it kind of makes a couple scenes stand out when I don't feel like they gel quite as well. There was several of the scenes where it's the slow motion shot of the family Mm -hmm. all walking towards the camera, and Aquafina's right in the middle with a very steady uh, gaze right at the camera. It was a little overplayed a few times, it kind of gave it almost a sense of a...
2: Wes Anderson film,
1: a little bit of a Wes Anderson quirkiness or trying to be a little more self-important, you know, and those, those didn't work for me when you've got such a great natural feel for the rest of the film and everything seemed very authentic. Those were just a little more stylized. I just didn't think worked, but again, that's really my only misgiving from it. I thought the rest of the film worked perfectly. Um, I will say on the quirk side, the one area that they went a little quirky and I liked was the quote wedding, Towards the end of the film, you know, the actual whole ceremony, well, the reception afterwards, reception, you've got people up there doing kind of karaoke or singing, you've got a game that's being played at the table Mm -hmm. between all the participants I thought was really fun. Those work for me because it kind of, I think it was really kind of a, a cathartic event for everybody to just kind of enjoy the time that they were all together finally after dealing with this little bit of this drama along the way
2: and they let themselves have fun yeah because the whole time they've been faking having fun but you get right. the idea that no especially with that game you're talking oh, yeah. about they they're, ha- having they're actually having fun so
1: i really liked where they went with that uh, scene in the way at the wedding reception as well so
2: well i'll, I'll touch on that i have i have one misgiving which okay. i'll get to in a second mm-hmm. overall you know like you i'm positive on the film um but i have one thing that I will detract from it. But before I get to that, I'll say that something else that I appreciated about the film was to feed off what you're talking about, that drinking game. Mm -hmm. And it's at the the wedding reception and they build to the groom is drinking heavily. (laughs) And then you see this scene where he appears to be getting, and you think he's going to violently basically, throw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you, I was dreading, Oh, this is going to be played for laughs. Like, in you know, like a hangover movie and that's just going to totally derail it. But actually the cause of him kind of crumbling right then is something completely different. Mm-hmm. And Aquafina then kind of comes over and helps him with that. And I thought that was awesome. I yeah. thought the payoff of that whole thing was a really surprising. And just cause I'd was not what I expected. And I had this dread of where it was going and it wasn't that. And I thought that was a really nice payoff moment with the two of them. It
1: was nice. I think kind of tying off that too. I mean, somebody in our film society even made this comment afterwards that the Billy character, Aquafina's character, the main, the the granddaughter, basically, Mm -hmm. although she's the one struggling the most throughout the film with whether or not, you know, how to deal with this situation and not always agreeing with the family about keeping it a secret. By the end of the film, she she's actually one of the stronger people where it actually is starting to take its toll on one of the her father mm-hmm. the, or in his brother. You know, and then you've got the groom. I mean, it's just these people aren't. Yes, they're working really hard to you know, keep the secret and kind of deal with the situation, but they're having a hard time processing it. Right. And uh, I thought that was really interesting to see. I'll also call out probably my favorite scene in the film okay. uh, takes place at the cemetery where they are visiting uh, the grandmother's passed away husband. Mm-hmm. And not only does it start with a, uh, a manic crier at another, uh, another grave site right. where they had just made a comment about how sometimes people are paid to go be criers at, the, at a cemetery or a funeral to kind of build up this level of emotion in the crowd. Cut to that, but then you actually go over and you see the family that we've been following – Visiting the grandmother's uh, husband's grave, and, and I, I know it's a Chinese ritual to work with or, or tradition to work with at the gravesite. But they start just uh, having food, and they're putting the food on the grave, and they're eating some food themselves, and it's almost like they're sharing a dinner mm-hmm. with the grandfather, right? Which was awesome, and just even there are laughs in that scene too because you know they're arguing about whether or not they should give him a cigarette or not. And just, but it's very natural. It's like, yeah, this is how this family would totally be. Being here, and I loved—I just loved watching that perfect blend of tradition with a true family acting very real, and uh, it was great. So it was one of my favorite scenes of the film.
2: So I'll let's say that you know, and I'll allude to things because uh, we don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the movie. But my one kind of false note, I guess, that I'll say that I feel like the film hit for me was I was I was mixed on let's see how to phrase i was mixed on the credit kickoff scene featuring Ah. actual footage of the grandmother um i feel now i don't know because you know despite the fact of being able to give notes on uh, what it three could be (laughs) i'm not a studio exec you know have no idea but i feel like in a way it kind of took away some of the film's impact of the ending yeah and then that scene kind of was kind of it just hit me a little wrong, and I, mm-hmm. I wondered if in a way it was added to try to up make it more uplifting or it was like it was like, well, let's put this on here so that way we have a happy ending to a film as opposed to an ambiguous ending which we know sometimes audiences hate
1: I took so, it as I took it as, so, I took I it as it the director this director and the writer director made this movie based on a their real situation right but my understanding is that they felt like by the time the film was actually made. And released, their family situation would be different than what it really was. So, in a way, it's like putting up that last slide is almost like a little bit of a joke for themselves, too, of saying, Look, we made this film. We thought it was going to end this way. <laughs> this is the way we expected it to end. But it hasn't ended that way in real life. So, we got to throw the slide up there to let it know that, you know, we want to be true to the film and true to the story. And maybe so, if that had
2: know. been done like, halfway through the credits or at the end oh, of the credits, yeah. that would have worked better for me, but it just really... it takes I, a- I couldn't sit with the what I thought was the ending of the yeah. film. I couldn't sit with it long enough. And sure. to, so it's not... Yeah, I still like the film, but to me, yeah, I can see it's that. a little... It
1: just there is an I'm interesting sorry. backstory. I recommend anybody after you've seen the film definitely look up and read a little bit of the story about the real the real family this is based on because it's kind of uh, some funny some funny anecdotes with that. So, well, it sounds like we're both very positive on the film, the farewell, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what Lulu Wang does next as far as another production, and I'm very anxious to see what Aquafina does with acting career. Does she return back to comedy primarily, or does this give her enough of a dramatic acting bug to uh, start going down that path a little bit more? Uh, do you think there's any award uh, potential with this film at all here in the next uh, few months?
2: I mean, you know, you maybe uh, it, yeah. you know it, it could get the directed by a female because there's all mm-hmm. you know they're trying to be more sensitive to that these days for you know justifiable reasons. Um,
1: it's technically not a foreign film, even true. though you know 75 or more percent of it is Chinese, but it's made in America. It was an American finance produced, film in
2: it. produced yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't for that fact, then I'd yeah. say, yeah, this is probably a shoe-in yeah, sure. for China's entry into the Academy Awards. Um, you know, so maybe that, um, you know, best adapted cause it was adapted from a this American life thing. Yeah. So that could be best, interesting. A, a screenplay adapt- adaptation. Yeah. And you know, who knows? Maybe a best actress for Aquafina, but I don't know if it's strong enough. Yeah. So you would supporting for the grandmother would be nice. It'd be um, nice. But yeah. yeah. Who knows? I,
1: I, I don't, I unfortunately I don't see any of the acting getting any, any real uh, attention. Aquafina, I think people are paying a lot of attention to her because it's a very different role sure. and it's a serious role, but I don't know if it was one of the strongest female roles that we're going to see this year. Okay. Um, so I'd love to see it for directing and I love the adapted screenplay idea. That would be really interesting. Yeah,
2: So much of an ensemble piece. Cause there are so many mm. family members that, yeah, it would be hard to kind of
1: I hate to pick out one as just, cause it really does work as a unit. I don't, I think sure. the family, you know, the reason those family scenes work is the dynamics of everybody around the table. So Agreed. all right, that is the farewell. Uh, probably a little harder to find, uh, in places. I think it probably might even be close to being online by the time people start listening to this episode, but we do recommend it pretty strongly it is a good film. We uh, recommend you, you give it a shot, Chris. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do our movie news and then we'll also do our recommendations of the episode. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV,
2: and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Andrew Moose from the Street Circle Drive podcast here on The Mesh. Interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your ad could be right here. Consider advertising on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to
1: TheMesh.TV for details. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is Alan and Chris here. We just finished our review of the first half of the show of the films It Chapter 2 and The Farewell. It Chapter 2, we both had some real issues with and did not terribly enjoy, while The Farewell, we did give some very high marks to and feel like it's a very worthwhile film to check out if you have a chance. So, Chris, let's move into some movie news uh, while we're here together. This is the time of the show where we like to talking, you know, both of us, uh, maybe ping pong from episode to episode would bring up some news items. I've got a couple things to share with you today. Some news items about movies, either in production or ones that are about to be released that we want to kind of pick apart a little bit. Um, you know, there's film festivals going on all the time. There's even one coming up. I hear (laughs) Uh, at the very end of September. In September, North Carolina? Yeah, in Western wow. North Carolina, which is really close to where we are right now, uh, from September 27th through the 29th. That's the Foot Candle Film Festival. Uh, we do encourage you to go check that out, footcandlefilmfestival.com. If you're listening to this, you're probably bumping right up against the uh, the festival date, or maybe you've passed the festival, so go ahead and put it on your calendar for 2020. We'll be talking about it plenty uh, between now and then. <laughs> but we are looking forward to a good festival weekend coming up here in a couple of weeks. But anyway, the festivals I was referring to are two in particular. We had the Venice International Film Festival a few weeks, couple weeks ago. Then we're just finished up the Toronto Film Festival. So two big film festivals where a lot of big films go mm-hmm. to get some attention and get some buzz early on. Generally speaking, the films are going to be a little more in the, uh, especially with Venice, a little more in the uh, higher acclaim status category. Toronto, a little broader, you get a little more. Uh, bigger budget films that can kind of make their way into the Toronto film festival and get some recognition there. I did want to mention Venice first because there okay. were two really interesting outcomes. I wanted to kind of highlight for
2: and it. You. Actually, you're doing it chronologically because it
1: actually, Yeah, happened yeah. it was first um, one, one outcome of the Venice international film festival. That is a film we've talked about several times on the show. <laughs> and I'm sure we're probably going to talk about it at least one or two more times. Cause it comes out in maybe two or three weeks. I
2: would assume we're going to review it.
1: Oh, yeah. We've got to review it. And that's the film Joker. Mm-hmm. That is uh, Joaquin Phoenix in the Todd Phillips film. Um, it won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is the kind of the big the big award. Mm-hmm. Uh, the initial word when it was screening in Venice was extremely positive. Then mm-hmm. you kind of started getting some backlash of people who had some issues with
2: You know what's weird to me is it's a comic yeah. book movie having green book backlash. Well, it's having I mean, very not having the same su- Not the yeah. same subject matter. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's having, not because of like attitudes of racism. No, it's right. just like the amount and the intensity of the backlash that's happening around Joker. Yeah, it was like people being like, oh, this is awesome. And then it was like, People just rail. Yeah,
1: so I mean, you're right. When Green Book first came out and was being screened at festivals, there were a lot of critics who come coming up and being like, oh, this is a wonderful movie. It's so good. It's so great. And then I think it started getting more people seeing it, more more critical eyes, and then a lot of people started to realize, uh, no, actually, this is not really good at all. Joker, I, I think it's got a lot of that going on right now. I think the people who are fans of this film have some very, very positive feelings about it. I think you know, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is getting some high acclaim
2: when I haven't heard anybody detracting his performance. No, I think
1: the tone of the film is also something people kind of respond to and the grittiness of it and the realism of it. I think more of the people who have some issues with the film seem to be commenting more on the messages that mm. come from the film and just what is the film trying to say? And how does that play in today's society nowadays? So that is Joker, but it did win the big prize. I mean, mm-hmm. it won the golden line. It will be coming out the first weekend in October. That's right. So we're about, uh, two to three weeks away from that. And we will definitely be talking about it. I'm sure when it comes out, the other thing, uh, from Venice that I thought was just really interesting is the buzz around the film marriage story. Mm-hmm. You've heard about this, the yes. Noah Baumbach film starring Scarlett Johansson and Adam driver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a film where uh, you observe a splintering union, uh, uh, a compassionate portrait of a marriage breaking up, basically. And this film, a it's at one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson both getting a lot of acclaim for their performances. Now, in Bob Back, people are saying it's like best film he's made. Hmm. Um, so it came out of, it came out of Venice with a really higher profile than I think it did going in. Gotcha. Uh, so it's now kind of, it was already one I was interested in seeing, but now it's definitely gone pretty high on my list for wanting to check it out. So, so, you know, there's some other films, uh, a lot of films from other countries that got a lot of acclaim and did, did really well at the festival, but those were probably the two biggest ones that as far as for me kind of resonated and said, okay, these came out with. Some heightened awareness, whether it's Joker, very split awareness, or marriage story, almost unanimous praise for. Ad Astra did pretty well at mm-hmm. the uh, Venice Film Festival, got a lot of acclaim there as well. Um, the King, which is Timothy uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, starring as a, uh, uh, gosh, something Shakespeare wise, <laughs> Henry, Henry the Fifth, I think, got some also some pretty good acclaim as well. So, I mean, some movies are, are, did pretty well with it. Then we move to Toronto, and right. again, Toronto is a bigger festival, or as far as like bigger budget films, kind of making their way in. Let me just sum this up for you. Okay, here's I'm going to list out all these films, and there's one common thread about all these films I want to tie together. Mm-hmm. We'll go back and hit a couple ones. Okay, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mister Rogers film, starring uh, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Knives Out, the mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson film, uh, the Who Done It murder film. Yes. Uh, Judy, the uh, Judy Garland story with uh, Renee Zilweger. Mm-hmm. Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi's mm-hmm. film, uh, the film Waves mm-hmm. that was uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Trey Edward Schultz, mm-hmm. getting some great reviews. Uncut Gems uh, is that the Saffter Safety Safar- Brothers, Brothers? Mm-hmm. with um, um,
2: Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler, yep,
1: starring in it. Ford versus Ferrari, <laughs> not even with uh, Matt Damon and Christian Slater. All these films I listed, even the film Hustlers mm-hmm. with, uh, you're going to have to give me the names. Jennifer, name, Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. All of those films, great reviews. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. I mean, that's, I listed out like eight or 10 films right there that are coming out in the next three months. It's going to be a busy fall. That are all getting really strong reviews right. uh, after playing at the Toronto Film Festival. Any key takeaways from any of those I listed, any of those that kind of spot out? Oh, I even forgot. Dolomite is my name, the Eddie Murphy film. Also played Toronto. Also got some great feedback and reviews.
2: Um, Yeah, it seems, you know, a lot of times people earlier in the year, especially when things like Avengers Endgame are hitting and other things are just like, oh, this has been kind of a bad movie year. It's just a bunch of blockbusters, nothing of substance then comes these festivals and then you have the end of the year Mm -hmm. kind of run. And yeah, it does seem like we're going to be pretty busy watching a bunch of films. Um, interesting, you know, I'll be interesting to see or interested to see my reaction to Joker because I was interested anyway, because we've talked about it, but just to see kind of how I fall after hearing all these other people, their opinions. Um, Jojo rabbit, I did hear, you know, good things, which I was happy because I was interested to see it. Uh, Taika Waititi actually won the Ebert director award at TIFF Mm -hmm. as well. And it got the audience award winner at at TIFF. So it took away two really big prizes at Toronto International Mm -hmm. Film Festival. Um, You know, no surprise if you've seen the trailer, Taika Waititi plays like Hitler. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people have detracted a little bit because they say it just didn't, I don't know. They, they say it didn't quite work or something, yeah, something about right. the, They They applaud him for trying this satire about anti hate, you know, but you know, but they say it didn't quite work. So I'm, but I'm, I'm interested, really interested to see oh, sure. that one for myself. So I guess, you know, the films that I'm most looking forward to out of all the ones you listed, Jojo rabbit, Joker, and the one that I am, looking forward to that I had no idea really kind of existed. And I'm most interested to see maybe would be waves. Um, yeah. because Trey Edward Schultz, you know, I've seen creature, I've seen it comes at night and those are both kind of psychological horror films. And then from what I can tell from the trailer, which is very beautiful, it looks like kind of like a moonlight type idea. Yeah. Um, it's very, you know, rich cinematography, beautiful colors kind of sitting around, I think a family or something, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, but it just looks really surprising. So I'm really interested to see, like, what he's doing with this now. Yeah. And, you know, Trey Edward Schultz is a Caucasian, mm-hmm. and this film seems to center around African Americans. So it's just interesting to see that perspective, like, what he chose to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's like, oh, well, that that's interesting. So I'm, I'm really curious. That's the one I'm most curious about, curious about as far as, like, oh, that's something interesting for that person to do. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, those three would be my big three. Well,
1: I, it's just, I, I think it's an impressive list of films we've got coming up. Sure. Hustlers came out this the, this past weekend, mm-hmm. made a lot of money, um, and got a lot of great reviews. Jennifer Lopez getting a lot of great nom- uh, attention for her performance. Uh, again, a film, when you told me about months ago, I was like, eh, whatever.
0: Saw yeah. the trailer,
1: didn't think much about no, it. No, not interested in it, but, but again, now you're like, Plays well. at the film festivals, people sure. are saying, yeah, it's really good. Right. Um, Judy, the Judy Garland film, you know, again, it's, it's a musical biopic. Uh, we've seen so many of those, but the reviews have been strong you know, saying it's a good performance by, by Renee Zilweger, even beautiful day in the neighborhood. i honestly was worried about when I saw the trailer, cause I still am having a hard time. Tom Hanks. I feel like it looks like it's doing more of an impersonation than truly playing the character. And I was hoping that wasn't the case from the trailer. The reviews have been good. So again, I think we've got another
2: strong film there. With with that one, it'll be interesting for me. You brought up during our review of Farewell, is something better served as a documentary or is it better served as taking that idea and turning it into a narrative? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Won't You Be My Neighbor was an awesome documentary that I think we reviewed here on the show. We did. And I liked it a lot. You know, they're basically taking not the whole story, but basically like a little slice of it. Mm -hmm. And they've made this movie into it. So I'm curious to see if I respond to it as strongly as I did that documentary, just yeah. because I'll be like, yeah, it was okay, but I kind of already knew what I was in for because I'd seen it in the documentary. Mm. So I'll, I'll be curious to see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of great films, very excited about the fall season. You know, these are all ones I'm all 11 of these that we've mentioned are ones I'm now interested in seeing. Um, one film that I know played at Toronto, maybe not the best response to it and probably, you know it's still one I'm curious about but but it's not as high on my list uh Steven Soderbergh's latest film The Laundromat mm-hmm. so this is starring Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, Jeffrey Wright I mean a great cast uh really stacked with the actors and it's exploring a 2015 news story uh behind the Panama Papers so a Med- Midwestern woman played by Meryl Streep um, kind of uh, going through and learning about that situation my understanding is it plays uh, – it's both comedy, but it's also dealing with a real-life story. I understand Gary Oldman's very kind of over-the-top Gary Oldman. Uh, the, the feedback of guys is that the tone's kind of all over the place, and it just doesn't really work as well. But I know that was one that a lot of people were excited about, but doesn't sound like it really is held up or, or didn't come out of the Toronto Film Festival with quite the strongest uh, feedback and response. Um, Still what I'm curious about, because I like Steven Soderbergh, but um, see how that turns out.
2: I'm curious about two films. We'll harken back to a film festival that happened even before Venice. Um, But the Cannes Film Festival, the winner of the Palme d'Or at that was Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. That's another one, yeah. And I know very little about it, but I've heard that it's kind of awesome. And I've heard the the less you know about it, the better, so... I'm not even going to try to find out what it's about, but I look forward to that whenever I can end up seeing it. Cause it is a Korean film. So it might be forever and a day before I get to see it. But yeah. I am looking forward to that one. It won an award at Cannes. Um, I can't remember if it was Venice or Toronto, mm-hmm. but this film came out kind of one that you said on the, didn't get such a good reception note. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's based on a book, which I have read, um, called The Goldfinch. That's the name of the book right. and the name of the movie has Nicole Kidman has Ansel Elgort in it. Man, have people been really yeah. brutal on this movie. Didn't turn but out very well this either. is going to be an example of where Chris can't wait to see the movie because his expectations are so True. low. It may actually be a so good viewing for So I'm like, you know what? You. you know, the book was interesting Okay, maybe... The, and Jeffrey Wright, I believe, is also in The mm-hmm. Gulf Engine. So, you know, okay, maybe it's not going to work, but I still want to see it because I did enjoy the book. And let's just see what they can maybe make yeah, work. sure. So... No, I, I,
1: I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm still interested in seeing the films, even if they're not getting the best response. And granted, we are looking at them all in kind of this microcosm of, sure, it's a film festival, all right. these critics packed in, You know, everybody's kind of spilling their beliefs out on, online. Sure. So it does help kind of just skew the film a little bit. We've seen so many examples of films that got skewered at a film festival. When they actually come out in wide release, people see it, they really respond well. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I guess my big takeaway from this is I think we have a embarrassment of riches going into the fall of films to be looking towards. Yeah. Which is nice because I don't feel like we've had that the whole rest of the year. <laughs> I feel like January through September, it's kind of been like, well, you're you're reaching to find the films sure. that you really are excited about. Right. And now from October through December, gonna I think so we're going to have much. a lot. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Me too. So, Chris, with that, since that was kind of an all-encompassing news item talking about the festivals, let's move right into our recommendations of the episode. You and I both sharing a film we think is worth checking out that we want to make sure uh, uh, people know about and hear about or maybe revisit. Maybe it's one you haven't seen in a while and we just happened to stumble across it like I did in a sleepy, drowsy state <laughs> on my couch and catching back up with a film that awesome. I had forgotten all about. I'll jump right into mine since I kind of did a little lead-in, if that's okay with you. Have <laughs> that it. So, ah, um, uh, the 1990s. It was a magical time, Chris. <laughs> um, I went to the movies a lot when I was a high school and college student. Okay. That was kind of my thing. And, you know, I... Dated during that time, and a kind of a go-to date would be you go to the movie theater. It's easy.
2: You don't have yeah. to actually talk to the person. You yeah, look at a, a screen. about that. And <laughs> plus,
1: also, I think this was like the early stages of me realizing that how somebody responds to a movie afterwards ah. is a little bit of a telling tale about how compatible we may be. Gotcha. So there were two films in the early 1990s that I saw many, many times in a movie theater uh, and on several occasions on a date. Okay. One of them was Dances with Wolves. Ah, oh, yes. Now, date is that movie? your
2: recommendation? No, it's not. Okay.
1: Uh, no, I still think I still love the movie okay. from a sentimental standpoint. Uh, it's got it's got problems. I, I've seen it recently. Uh, parts of it don't hold up as well, but it still works for me. I still like it. Gotcha. Now, the other movie that I, that was my go to date movie for a while, and this was, gosh, when was this film released? This film was released in. Now, you've already recommended 1990. the,
2: the Brothers Solomon, so it's not.
1: No, it's not that. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was the movie Ghost. Ah. That was my go-to date movie. It was this is Jerry Zucker, who Jerry Zucker was part of the Zucker brothers who had done some of the airplane, airplane naked yeah. gun. I mean, he done mm-hmm. a lot of slapstick, over-the-top, broad humor stuff. This was kind of a, a break. He it was him by himself directing a movie, and he did one that was going to be a romance mm-hmm. drama. I did not realize
2: he directed. Oh, ghost.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was kind of I remember that being kind of the deal with it. Huh. You got Patrick Swayze, who up to that point was Mr. Roadhouse and Dirty Dancing and all that, trying to play something a little bit, you know, not, so, not as macho, not as big, uh, big-fisted uh, dancing and all, just a little more of a subdued character. Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg. Now, on paper, this movie sounds pretty bad, okay? Just <laughs> a young man's murdered, his spirit stays behind the war and his lover of an impending danger with the help of a reluctant psychic sounds fairly cookie cutter. It sounds terrible. It does. And I remember when the trailers came out and the movie was being hyped, it's like, ugh, that doesn't sound (laughs) good at (laughs) all. I'm not interested in this film. But I remember going, I think on a date uh, to see it and actually thinking, dude, I kind of like this movie. It's like, this (laughs) actually kind of works for me. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things. If you think too hard about it, it doesn't make any sense. But I'll admit as a romance, it's really good. It's very emotional. It has some great little bit of supernatural elements to it. There's actually some kind of creepy moments you mm-hmm. know, in it. Um, it's tense. It has a lot of build up and drama. I mean, it actually works for me as a film. It's one of those films where I think they just kind of hit lightning in a bottle and said, all right, yeah, this could be a formulaic studio film that's just going to go straight to DVD. But it's like, no, we actually kind of got something here. And it worked, and the audience is connected with it. And I really like the film.
2: I mean, you're you're bringing the show full circle. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a bad idea for a movie; only bad execution. And I agree. I and agree. And yeah, on paper that sounds like a terrible idea, but I agree with you. It's actually well executed, it's a good movie. and it's it's a good movie. Here's how good that movie is. Yes, as a teenager, you know, and then in college. I was aware of this movie and I was like, oh, that looks terrible. And then I saw it and I actually want to rewatch a romance, you know, ostensibly mm-hmm. a romantic movie, which is also kind of a comedy because Whoopi Goldberg oh, yeah. plays the psychic. Sure. And it is just it walks the tightrope. It is romantic, but it's also really funny. But it's got some cool kind of sci-fi, like learning how to be a ghost stuff. That's yeah. really awesome. Yes. Yeah, so. I had totally forgotten about that movie. See? And that's and why yeah. yeah, it happened it's to good. be
1: on like a cable thing. You know, I was at home. I had a couple hours where I actually didn't have anything to do. Nobody else was in the house. Everybody else had gone off to do things. and I was just kind of there by myself. And I started watching it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally – I remember really liking this movie. <laughs> I and what if it holds up. I'm like, yeah, it actually absolutely still holds up. All that's right, awesome. The effects – Um, some of the ghost effects, the, yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty bad, but (laughs) you know, you just kind of look past that. I mean, it doesn't ruin the film for me. It just, it dates it. Okay. It is a dated film. It is a 1990 film. I mean, it's pretty clear at this point. Um, but again, Patrick Swayze, man, got charisma. He did. That was good. Whoopi Goldberg. This was a time where she could just kind of let that Whoopi Goldberg persona go and, Mm -hmm. and just have fun with it. And it played the role really well. Demi Moore was fine. I mean, she's not an actress I'm I'm, uh, too big a fan of, but I thought she was, she did a great job with the role. Sure. Um, And even like as the uh, uh, kind of, you know, quote bad guy. I mean, he really, you know, it's Tony Goldwyn Mm. playing Carl, you know, Carl is uh, a Sam wheat, which I think is an interesting name for Patrick Tracy's character. Sam wheat, (laughs) Sam, Wheat. Sam's best friend or coworker, Carl, you know, it turns out was kind of involved in Sam's murder. And he plays a guy coming unhinged pretty well throughout the film because he he starts freaking out uh, when things start conspiring against him. So, yeah, the movie was good. It was really good. And, again, David Zucker as the director, you know, was kind of just an interesting – or Jerry Zucker, I'm sorry. Kind of an interesting story. You know a character I didn't remember was in the film but uh, actually played a part was um, um, playing a police officer that interviews uh, Demi Moore uh, in the film when she goes and tries to get some assistance is oh gosh um he's from office space he was the guy with the stapler um steven root oh. steven root has a small part as a police officer It's huh. actually really good he's a very serious role
2: oh so completely not what oh does, not yeah. funny and not,
1: he's not comedic at all he's very very serious huh. and uh so yeah that was kind of uh, interesting to see him in the film as well anyway i'm saying ghost I uh, saw it again. I I like it. It's still a great movie from that time period. So I definitely recommend checking out if you have a chance. Or if you've never seen it, just because the premise and stars turned you off, give it a shot. You actually I think might be kind of pleasantly surprised. Chris, what have you got for us?
2: So um I'm gonna wreck a documentary that's made its way on a Netflix. Uh it's called American Factory. And the reason I'm recommending it is um, it actually ties into some of the culture ideas – or not culture ideas, but some of the exploration of the Chinese culture that we talked about with The Farewell. Um, The idea is it's – you know, it is a documentary, so it's true. In post-industrial Ohio, a Chinese billionaire opens a new factory in the husk of an abandoned General Motors plant, hiring 2,000 blue-collar Americans. Early days of hope and optimism give way to setbacks as high-tech China clashes with working-class America. So um, my Letterbox review just kind of threw this out as a Michael Keaton-less gung-ho. Um, and that's, yeah, because it's not, it's not funny. I mean, there are some instances of humor, but it's kind of an example of uh, optimism at the onset of like, oh, we're going to have the solution to open up this factory and we're going to rehire people, mm-hmm. but then – cultures just really you know there are differences in how it is really a struggle to try to make things work mm-hmm. um it's not a perfect documentary i do have some misgivings of seemingly i mean with every documentary there's an agenda and you can kind of feel like where these people's agenda lies where their loyalties lie but um the incriminating evidence that comes out about you know the chinese part of the equation they, you know, they agreed to have the cameras there. So mm. the the warts that they're exposing about themselves, it's kind of like they're buying into it and they're saying these things to the camera. You know, so it's, it's interesting thing, but it's just really, you know, the global economy yeah. idea. It's kind of interesting to see, well, you know, just be aware global economy. OK, but working together can be really tough. Yeah. Um, sure. So uh, it's kind of an interesting play off uh, the farewell as far as cultures and how they interact. But, uh, American factory is that, that's a documentary that the Obama's helped produce. Yes. And I forget the name of the production company that they've started. And it just so happened. I think this is one of the first things they did yeah. was this film, American factory. And I, th- um, but yes, and actually if you care to, um, on Netflix as well, of course there's American factory, but then there's kind of like a and a at a, Coffee shop, which, yes, is obviously very staged because mm-hmm. you don't just have the Obamas walking into any coffee shop, sure. but they sit down with um, the directors. there's uh, Steven Bognar and Julia Reichert, and mm-hmm. they sit down and kind of have a back and forth Q and a about why they made this film and mm-hmm. what their goal was and talk about access and all that kind of so it's that's you know I, it's an interesting companion yeah. to my other recommendation. But uh, if you're interested in that, uh, it's it's on Netflix. American Factory.
1: Yeah, I, that's one I've got queued up. I need to kind of check out at some point. So, all right. Again, very wildly different recommendations, but that's always for a fun show as well. So, sure. so Chris, we are at the end of this episode. As a recap, uh, we both are not big fans of it. Chapter two, thought it was a drop in quality from the first one, and did not care for it uh, much at all. Uh, we both really like the farewell though. When we do think people ought to check out. We did a little quick recap of both the Venice and Toronto film festivals and seeing about 11 or 12 films that we're now really eager to see in the next few months. And then our recommendations, American factory documentary that is available on Netflix Netflix, Mm -hmm. and then ghost, which, uh, you just got to find it on cable somewhere or go rent it. Mm -hmm. Um, or buy it it, on iTunes, check it out
2: from your library. Probably.
1: So (laughs) I, uh, But either way, two two films we do recommend you you check out if you have a time and an inclination to do so. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. But, Chris, before we do, just a couple of quick plugs about what else we're doing outside of this uh, podcast. Of course, we have the Foot Candle Film Society, which is the organization that kind of helps put on this show. But we do our monthly film screenings uh, both at the – Carolina Theater in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, as well as the uh, Newton Conover Auditorium. We've been doing a film series out there the last few months uh, in Newton, North Carolina, holding those film screenings. And, then, of course, we have our film festival we mentioned that will be happening September 27th through the 29th of this year, 2019. We have our Children's International Film Festival, which we work with the local school programs to put together a slate of uh, short international films for uh, children in grades four through seven or eight to enjoy in their, throughout their own school systems and discuss. So a lot of things we have going on within the film society. Uh, And uh, you know, if you're interested in what we're doing or upcoming screenings or anything else, check out our website at Footcandle.org. And then Chris, if people are wanting to talk to us about foot candle or about any of our reviews or discussions, how should they uh, do so?
2: Quickest and easiest way is to probably send us an email to info at the mesh dot tv with foot candle on the subject line. You can also follow us on Twitter at at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, where we track or try to track what films we've recently been watching. And if you like this show, awesome, please consider subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave a star rating or a review to help us r- reach new listeners. If you're more of a Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play type person, we're on there as well.
1: Yeah, so a lot of different ways to listen and a lot of different ways to reach out and just talk with us. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks so much for listening. Chris, thanks a lot as always. And to everybody else, we will talk to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.